Hey, y'all. I have a special guest on today, and I have tried to record this intro a thousand times, and I just keep crying, so I just said, forget it. I'm going to cry all the way through it. Today, I interview Lisa Henderson Carter. I met Lisa through my kid's school. She is a mentor and works in the school system and is just an incredible human. And she had a baby at 13 and her mom died and she had seven homes in foster care and which she was able to raise her son as a teenager, as a seventh grader in foster care. And so, like I said, I've tried a million times to record this without crying, but can't. So here we go. I'm just going to read the introduction to her book, Behind the Smile, before we dig into her birth story. My mother always said, nothing goes between your legs but a washcloth and some soap. I didn't understand the significance of her statement until I got the results of my pregnancy test. Getting that news was gut-wrenching. I had celebrated my 13th birthday, and this was not a gift I felt good about. The thought of possibly being a mother scared me. I couldn't imagine what having a baby at such a young age would be like, let alone feel like. So many thoughts rushed through my head as the pit of my stomach grew more and more unsettled, thinking about the reality of a baby growing inside my fragile body. I felt numb, alone, and confused. My mind started racing. My heart pumped twice as fast. But my body was completely still. I felt like I was in a bad dream, a dream I wished I could wake up from, but I wasn't dreaming. I was fully awake, completely at a loss for words, and had no idea what to do next. Although I was in disbelief when I received the news, I had a feeling I was pregnant. After all, we didn't use any birth control. This was real. This was my reality. This was my responsibility. Within seconds, my life had taken on a whole new meaning, and I asked myself, how did I end up here? Thanks for being here today and listening to Lisa's story of just like pure resilience, pure strength, and overcoming. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions birth story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, 
you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. So I guess what I'm getting at is... If you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan, right? Like, I want to be your teacher. I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence Like wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth, right? Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Lisa, thanks for being on the Birth Story podcast. How are you doing this morning? I am just fine. Thank you so much for inviting me. Looking forward to chatting today. Yeah. Well, I already recorded your intro for this episode. So people have already learned that we know each other through my children, Max and Jagger's school at Shamrock Gardens Elementary. And so I want to start with present day. We'll go back to like your life's work and your birth story and then kind of come back to where you are today. So share with us a little bit, Lisa, about 2023, Lisa, like who you are, what your family life looks like, what your career looks like. And let's just start with like who you are today. Wonderful. Well, I really, um, to even hear you say 2023, Lisa, is quite amazing because I am definitely in a different place of my life where I'm paying attention to how I feel more than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and we'll talk more about my life story, but just life just threw me a loop, threw me for the loop. and, and, And so I'm finally just finally getting my bearings and I'm like, okay, now. What is it that you need? Who are you, 
Lisa. And so I'm going through this entire like change where I'm asking a lot of questions and, and being really open and honest with myself about where I am today and who I've become. And so that's been, that's been an amazing experience. And I will say that the number one thing that keeps coming to mind is how do you take care of Lisa? How do you do that? And, and really working towards getting some things in place to ensure that I am putting my health as a priority above all. Um, and it's, an, it's a challenge. It, it really is. It's like you would think that it's just as easy as one, two, three, but I'm really trying to unlearn a lot of things and, and working towards um, becoming a better version of, of Lisa. Yeah. And so that's where I am overall. I'm, I currently serve as a youth development coordinator with communities and schools um, at Shamrock Gardens. Um, communities and schools is a student success program where we spend time with students, helping them navigate their lives, helping them think about where do I want to go later on? Wh what do I want to be? What can I do to change the trajectory, my personal life? And so I work closely with families and with our students to have them, you know, start thinking about those things. We uh, prioritize attendance because we know that coming to school and um, being here and, and being in the class is what's going to help to shift um, their current circumstances. Education is, is the number one, what they said, the equalizer, the great equalizer, right? So mm -hmm. just really um, just driving that home and, and making sure that parents are engaged and understand the importance of being a part of the process and that journey with their children. And so I've been here now for uh, Share Market for 12 years, 12 years with communities and schools and serving in that capacity has been quite rewarding, quite rewarding. Um, yeah, so that's work life. How um, old are you, of, Lisa? How old are you now? How, how old am I? Yeah. I just celebrated my 48th birthday. Okay. My 48th. Yes. I love it. I knew yes. we were about the same age. I'm 45. And because even though like our life stories are very different, uh, trauma, grief, loss, um, that's part of the human experience. And so at some point in our lives, usually most people walk some difficult road. I have found that in my 40s, <laughs> And with a lot of peers in our 40s, turning that corner to menopause, we're kind of like, you know, in the, the long haul of parenting, grandparenting kind of thing, that we're doing a lot of reflection. I, I It's like the new midlife crisis, right? Like a lot of reflection on how much time is left what have I done? What impact have I made? What impact is there still to make? But also, how do I finally, internally focus on self? So um, it sounds like you are right there on that path, Lisa. And your entire life has been dedicated to both survival and taking care of other people. And then in your career path, continuing to support and pour in to other people. So I'm really happy to hear you say, as a mother, 
that you are thinking about taking time for yourself. Finally. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's really hard to take time away from other people and responsibilities when that's how we've been trained and to give ourselves back time. Every mother listening to this podcast needs to hear that message on repeat. So you guys, I met Lisa because I actually volunteered at the school for one of the projects that she runs, which is career day. Don't you guys love scrolling through Instagram and seeing all the things? Well, it's sort of awkward when you're a doula and your kids are in elementary school. I was like, how do I talk to children, young children, about what I do? right? And be like both um, appropriate for their ages, but also realistic, right? A lot of the kids that I, that were coming up to my booth had already gone through puberty. Some knew things about their bodies. Some didn't know anything about their bodies. And trying to stay in the lane of like answering those questions from fifth graders, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, like, what do you do? How did the baby get in there to begin with? Right. Um, so it was really, it's, it was really a hard conversation and it, it's going to lead us into Lisa's story today of, um, fertility starting oftentimes long before we're ready to become a mother. Physiological birthing, mammalian birthing, being available to us for the survival of our species without sometimes it matching um, our life circumstance, our readiness, our preparedness. So I'm really appreciative that you're on here today, Lisa. And we're going to talk about your book, Behind the Smile. And you guys can get this on Amazon. It's a memoir, Lisa Henderson Carter, and I'll link it in the show notes. And, um, how pain prepared me for my purpose. This is going to lead into Lisa's birth story. So we are here for Lisa's story. We are here for Lisa's birth story. And to then, I want to take a deep dive into the postpartum period, Lisa, because Lisa significantly suffered from postpartum depression and anxiety for lots of different reasons. And, um, we hope that we end today's podcast with abundance of um, hope for each of you. So, so Lisa, start me, start us on a journey in the beginning. Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, um, born and raised there. Uh, uh, actually, my mom, she was a single mom who um, uh, just really tried our very best, all things considering. She struggled with um, alcohol and unfortunately later on um, drug drug addiction. And so just the journey of being a three-year-old, four-year-old, my earliest memory, um, I wrote about it in my book and I talk a lot about social services getting involved and the journey of being involved in Department of Social Services and eventually um, going into foster care later on when I was about 12. But I grew up in Boston. I had a pretty 
overall, I mean, you know, when I think back, my childhood was was tough, but it wasn't, you know, when I think about it, I just was kind of going through life, just being a, a little girl. You know, I have great memories. I do have great memories of hanging out with friends and playing jump rope and um, hide and go seek and all the fun things. So I have memories of my childhood that were great, um, but just things were just really um, challenging within my household. And so um, unfortunately, like I said, we, my brother, I have an older brother, we were removed from um, my mom's care when I was about 12 and went into foster care. And that's when things started to shift in terms of um, my decision making and so forth. So, yeah. When you were, and I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, Lisa, I already know the answers to from reading your book. So don't be thrown off by that, but I'm asking it for the listeners that haven't read your book yet. So um, when you were moved from your mother's care into home number one, and in the book, it outlines all the different homes that you had in foster care, but in home number one, were you able to still have access to visitation with your mom? Yes. And it's interesting because um, home number one was literally two blocks down the road from where, from where I grew up. So it was quite interesting. Um, and I, access, yes, but I don't remember spending much time with her around that time. I think at that time, that was when, when she struggled the most with her addiction. And so um, my memories in terms of time with her are very limited. Like my The only memory I really remember was um, later on when I shared with her that, um, well, when she learned that I was expecting. So, and that was a few months after being um, taken removed from the home. Okay. So you were removed from your mom's house. You were put in foster care. And you said that that was kind of the time where um, decision, you know, decision-making life things took a turn. Um, Lisa. <laughs> I want the audience to hear this. What you do is so important because this, that age, 12, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. It is such a critical, every child is kind of leaving the nest, right? Like our nine and our 10 year olds tend to still kind of um, snuggle, and attach, right? And then suddenly around puberty, they start to exert their independence and they they try to pull away a little bit, right? And we want to grow up so fast and we want to experiment. And when we're in situations where there's not healthy boundaries or um, supervision um, or conversations, and support system, um, it is very easy for uh, alternate, less healthy decisions to be made. And a lot of people go that route without it being as severe as losing access to your mom and being in foster care, right? Like, I was reading your book and and our stories were so similar, right? Like losing my virginity in middle school, like doing drugs and alcohol in middle school. 
I didn't get pregnant, right? But like our stories weren't too far off with decision-making because of lack of parental support, community support, and boundaries. So what you're doing today is so important. When I became a doula, Lisa, the very first clients I served were crisis teen pregnancy. My youngest client was 10 years old. So I spent the first five years being a doula. I don't think my listeners even know this. With Lois's Lodge and Florence Crittenton. They were two crisis teen pregnancy homes where I taught childbirth education courses. I volunteered to be a doula and I tried to support um, teens that either had chose, well, they had all chosen life, but some were going to go on to mother and some were going to be a vessel of uh, motherhood for someone else. So I really connected with your book. Like This is the pivotal moment of me reading your story. So here you are. 12 years old, sixth grade, you've lost access to your mom every day when you need her. And what does life look like? What are you doing? Yeah. So of course, you know, my mother, one thing about her is that she was big on education. You are going to school (laughs) and I expect you to, to bring A's and B's through this door. So she she was, even though she didn't have a lot to give in terms of um, the nurturing side, those were things that she she expected. And so I continued um, to, uh, you know, of course I had to. I was a sixth grade, finished, went on to school. And, and um, you know, I, I, I tried to navigate life in a way with, where I, I, I wanted to connect with my peers and all, but Things were different. And at the time I was a student, I had just gotten um, accepted into a college preparatory school, Boston Latin School. And, um, you know, I, I took a test and I scored high enough to get into the school. And lo and behold, there I was um, pregnant and having to have a conversation with the school counselor and social workers and so forth about my decision. Like, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to move forward? And um, that was that was really challenging, having to kind of work through that without having my mother's, um, you know, uh, support. Well, not support necessarily, but not having her there for guidance. Um, and so I think a lot of the decisions that I that I made during that time were just based on how I felt. Like, okay, what what do I feel is the best thing right now? And I didn't even understand. I, I just just went through the process, and I and I came to the conclusion that, okay, this is my situation and I'm going to have to figure it out. Yeah. And, um, I re- yeah, I remember having a talk with my mom. This is the one thing I do remember, um, chatting with her and she said, um, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do because you're not going to, you know, be upset with me for the rest of your life. And so she put the ball in my, you would have said ball in your court. She said, here it is. This is this is yours. And to be, uh, you know, just turning 12, 13 and having to make a decision or having the right to make a decision was was quite eye opening in a lot of ways. So let me go back because yesterday this like survey comes home from school and it's like, are you open to your children having a conversation about 
reproductive health, I think. That's getting ready to happen in like fifth grade. And I'm thinking, number one, fifth grade is too late to be having this conversation, right? Like most of us have already started our periods in fifth grade, right? Most of us are curious about sensations and feelings that feel good, right? Um, do you feel like between the ages of 10 when in fifth grade when you started your period and 12 when you became pregnant, had the school system, had, your, had you been educated on sex, reproductive health, protection, sexually transmitted diseases? Nothing at all. The only thing I remember my mom saying was nothing goes between your legs but a washcloth and some soap. That's the only thing I ever received related to um, decisions and things like that. Um, unfortunately, you know, my father, he wasn't involved, but I happened to bump into him shortly after I went into foster care. And I remember him asking, you know, are you pregnant? And I thought, no, like, how would I be and why would I be? Um, and I mean, and there was no, no one told me anything. It was just, I knew that once you, you know, start your menstrual cycle, lo and behold, you can get pregnant. That was all I knew. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that, but that was the gist of it. But no one had explained ovulation or safe sex or anything like that. Where I'm getting at is I am always frustrated in North Carolina, um, I did lose my virginity and was quite sexually active at around 14, pretty young age. Looking back, I feel like that was pretty young uh, and uh, definitely not educated on anything. I get into the school system in North Carolina and they teach abstinence or they, this is 1994, they taught abstinence. And I remember thinking, I've already had sex. Like, what? what? Like, can someone have a real conversation with me on not getting an STD instead of telling me what the STDs are and like not getting pregnant and telling instead of telling me about abstinence is the only way to not get pregnant? So I am very frustrated that we often are part of a system that is broken that is not setting us up for success, right? Like if it is, it's hard as parents to have those conversations. I understand that. But like, where are the mentors? Where are the big brothers and sisters? Where are the teachers? Where are the coaches? Where are the people talking to us about realistic reproductive health? Would you say, well, not would you say, you had a boyfriend. Was all of the sex you were having consensual? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I, this is like, that's one of the messages, Lisa, I want people to hear is like, we, our children are often going to be very curious about sex and it feels good and it feels good at a young age and we've mm -hmm. gone through puberty and, um, you know, uh, education of and, 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 and free access to things like condoms. So you're tw 12 years old, you're leaving sixth grade, going into seventh grade. 
and you find out you're pregnant. But I have to know, like, did you miss your period? Like, what made you think, besides the fact that you knew you were sexually active, but what made you think you were pregnant? You know, it's interesting. I, I actually had a feeling that I was based on the act. I just felt something happen that was different. It just, I mean, it was, it it just, and and even though, you know, it's really hard to explain, but something in my body just felt like something just happened. And, and so when I, uh, at the time I had a, a counselor, a therapist and um I had just gotten comfortable with kind of sharing a little bit with her and and I and I told her that um that I thought I might be pregnant and at the time she was um stationed in a health care facility where she was able to take me downstairs to have a, a test done. And so I don't I didn't miss a period. I didn't miss a period. It was literally like maybe it was maybe scheduled to come on, but there was something about how I felt that I just felt like something could have happened. Wow. So see, Lisa, you're very intuitive. I also felt conception when I got pregnant with my first pregnancy, which was Max. And I was 30. I don't even know, 30 five, six, I don't know how old I was, but I remember like I knew it. I knew instantly I felt different. I could feel conception. I could feel like there was something quite different about, about my body. I'm so proud of you that you were, that you spoke up because it gave you an opportunity to number one, have options. And number two, if you chose life, which you did to have prenatal care, um, were you met with judgment? Were you met with support? Combination. Okay. Mostly judgment, mostly judgment. Um, but, um, I think everyone, I think there was a, this expectation that the way things were going, that it, it could have likely happened. And so I, I, I received a lot of, um, you know, judgment from, from people who really, saw great things in me, but knew that being, you know, a a young mom could have changed my life drastically. So, you know, I think it was more out of care and concern, but um, it didn't come across that way. And then of course, later on, as I, you know, time went on and I get on the school bus or get on the, the local, we call it the MBTA, and people would kind of look and, you know, you, you know, they're thinking, wait a minute, is this baby having a baby? And I remember trying to cover it up, you know, uh, there were times where I want to go hang out with my friends at the skating rink because that's what we do on the weekends. And it was a point where I had to kind of wear baggy clothing so that they wouldn't say, oh, you can't come in here. Uh, so I had a, a, a 
variety of different things. I mean, I had a couple of people that's like, well, you know, my friends, <laughs> they were they were about my age, 13, 14. Well, we're going to, we'll do whatever we can to help you. And they, <laughs> like, what could they really do? But <laughs> they, they provided me with support. They're like, you know, we can do this. <laughs> yeah. Community. But a, lots of judgment. Yeah. I was going to say, well, friends can provide amazing community in the pregnancy and postpartum period at any ages, you know, um, but you know, the, there, there was this like part of your story where it was like up, down, up, down, up, down, right? Like you go into foster care, but then you have this big win of getting into this amazing private school and being like, just really recognized for your academics and your potential and then getting pregnant. Um, no, we know your story ends with choosing life and having a baby, but was there a time where you considered an abortion? Did anyone in the Boston area or your, your social worker, your, the home you were living in had, was anyone like, Hey Lisa, maybe you should have an abortion. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was the first um, thing that was suggested. Um, I, and, and that, even as I mentioned, the school that I, um, was at, at at the time they were really concerned that having a young a child well I was 13 at the time uh pregnant would influence others and so I remember being in a meeting with the support staff your counselors and your school counselors and nurse and social worker and they pretty much in a nutshell told me that this was going to change my entire life that if I went that way that I could possibly end up like my mother. No, that you are going to end up like your mother on welfare, on drugs, and, you know, not graduate from high school. And so I was afraid. I was like, whoa, that's not what I want. Um, and so I had made a decision that I wasn't going to move forth with, with the pregnancy. And um, I went through the process of scheduling appointment and, and the day of, right before um, the procedure was scheduled to happen, I literally within seconds popped up and said, I, I can't, can't do this. Um, something in me just said, I, I just can't do this. And I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into one way or the other. I was just faced with making all of these decisions that everyone was saying, you shouldn't do this. Don't do this. If you do this, you do that. But something within just said, no, this is not what, what you want to do. Yeah. And so I, I, I moved forward with, um, you know, with the pregnancy and they, the, the clinic at the time, they brought in a, a counselor to talk with me and, and talk me through it. And they really um, gave me the time to just process how I was feeling. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk logistics now, Lisa. Because that's a that's a giant moment right there to be about to have an abortion, to listen to the inner voice inside of you that says, I'm not going to be my mom. I can do this. I can survive this. I'm going to be okay. But then you're 12 years old. You're in foster care. Like, legally, are you allowed? I don't even know. Like, are you allowed to be? a mom in foster care like or is choosing life mean they're going to come take your baby away from you as soon as you give birth like 
did did what is that even what is that like yeah so of course you know i was in foster care and um there was some talk about whether or not i was capable of caring for my child and i think they just gave me the time to to to, to see how things were we're, we're going to pan out. And I mean, my son, unfortunately, had a chronic asthma. And so just his health concerns in general was was a, 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 a concern. And, and so they saw that I still went to school every day and I took him to his appointments and I maintained everything related to all things asthma related. And I, and I believe that they saw that I was actually doing the very best that I, you know, could at the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it did come up at one point around whether or not we need to remove um, the my son and take him away. And I think the biggest thing is at the time, my social worker was really concerned that I wasn't going to be able to manage it. And she felt like that was the best thing. But um, social services actually didn't support that, 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 um, this, 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 I'm trying to find the words. They didn't support that decision in terms of her wanting to do that. They said, well, no, she's not doing anything wrong. I mean, she's just young. And of course, I went through some parenting education classes and things like that. But a lot of those classes were just based on just my desire to want to know, not yeah. because it was mandated or anything. Yeah. Oh, you, this is such a testament. Like, I mean, not a lot of 12 year olds have this story, Lisa. It's incredible what you were able to to do and overcome. There's so much more to the story. And so we're gonna we're gonna go to your birth now, pregnancy and birth. And then we're gonna go to the story of raising your son, which is so cool. Um, so tell me about your pregnancy. Now I know that from your book you had your own history of asthma and respiratory illness. You were twelve, you were young. Um, you know, how did you get your prenatal care? How did you start preparing for childbirth? Um, who was su- supporting you as the foster family? Um, like, were they welcoming that you were going to have a baby in their home also within a few months? Um, yeah. So how'd the pregnancy go? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, one thing I will say is it's so important to have resources and and a community of support and there was a a program that was connected to the hospital called um teen and tots and it was really focused around adolescents who were pregnant and so they provided me with a uh a personal um had a, a practitioner who worked closely with me she talked a lot about taking good care of myself making sure i keep my appointments you know, you know, they connected me with a nutritionist. They talked to me about the things that I need to eat and try to lay away from, get away from. Um, they, like I said, they mentioned they, they had the parents and education classes where I could connect with other young parents. Um, so, and, and that was just a safe place. Like I enjoyed going to my, you know, of course, monthly appointments and then eventually, you know, weekly appointments because I knew when I got there, I was going to be greeted with a, hello, how are you doing? And, and just to feel um, just the love and support with, with, you know, all things considering. And so 
I really had a great, great network um, within that community, the medical community that that embraced me and and really tried to, you know, help guide me. And so that was a huge support. I also, in terms of the um, foster home, at the time I was living with my godmother and um, she took on the the responsibility of being my, my foster parent. And in that time period, it was challenging because, you know, she had her own things that she uh, was working through and, and to have, okay, all of a sudden I have her hair and now there's a baby. I think she just tried to make the best of the situation um, at the time. She had a, a two bedroom and she had a daughter who was a year or two older. And so she turned the living room into the bedroom. And so I had a bed in the crib and we were in the living room and that was our space. Um, and so, you know, it was challenging because I didn't quite feel always like home. I was really searching for that feeling, you know, but it was, it was a place that, I felt overall safe. So that was good. So I had a place where I could go and close my eyes and get up and, and handle whatever I needed to handle. Um, and she was kind of, she was kind of hands off, but hands on to an extent. Like she gave it to me, like, this is, this is your situation, figure it out. But then there were times where she'd kind of pull it in like, okay, but, um, and there was some resistance there. There were, we, we did have some, uh, some challenges, the oil and water, but it worked out. And then like when I think about it, like even in terms of the school, like at the time I, um, you know, my godmother, she actually helped take care of him when, when I was finishing up at the beginning, cause I didn't have childcare. So I'd go to school and there were times where she would, you know, make sure he was taken care of, which was a huge help. So, um, that lasted for a period of time and, until I could get him in, into childcare. So I had a variety of different people and, and resources that I was able to kind of glean from and, and get what I needed to get through. Yeah. It's some of the things that you hit on can make all the difference in the world, right? Like transportation, one person, a safe place to call your own. Uh, like uh, hopefully they were giving you some sort of assistance for food so that you could follow through on nutrition counseling and and everything like that. But it sounds like given that situation, you were able to tap into the resources that were available to you, build community, but then you did the hard work, right? Like you showed up, right? Like you did the things that you were supposed to do. During that time, you were only a few blocks from your mom, but were you able to see your mom during your pregnancy? Not much. I did see her um, one time. I was about maybe seven, six or seven months pregnant. And, and the crazy thing is <laughs> I ended up having a disagreement with my god sister. And it was maybe one or two in the morning. And we had a disagreement. And I remember my godmother saying, well, you can leave. And I was like, whoa. Okay. So I was about six or seven months pregnant, maybe close to the seven months. And I remember at about one, two in the morning, calling a cab and going to my mother's house. And I should have never done that because when I got there, there was a lot of, you know, things going on. She had company. They were in and out of the house around the time she was had gotten heavy into the drug scene. And so I literally walked into a 
an environment that was just not okay. So during that time, I, but I left and I went there and I was there for the night. And so that was like a memory that I have of, of like really my only memory um, while I was pregnant during that time outside of, of, of losing her. Um, and that was shortly after. So, you know, my last time actually spending time with her or being with her was at one or two in the morning uh, and, and seeing the very thing happening that caused um, us to be removed from the home. Okay. And from your book, I, I know that within a month or two of that story, um, your mom had passed away. So tell me about going into preterm labor and losing your mom. Yeah. So, you know, I, was in school and, and finishing up things. And I mean, there was so much going on during that time. And I remember, um, you know, going to the hospital because I was having some, some, uh, cramping and, and they said, well, yeah, you're in, you know, you're in labor. We're going to try to stop things. And I, they got me in there and, and hooked me up and I was hospitalized for maybe about a week. And during the time, um, I was maybe just about close to eight months pregnant or about seven and a half or so. During that time, my mother actually um, was admitted into the hospital for an overdose. She had uh, some things that happened. And my I remember just getting a call saying, hey, your mom's in the hospital as well. And they told me that she was um, in the intensive care unit um, and, and my thought was, you know what, well, I can just roll down with my IV pole and go see her. And I remember my older brother, he stopped in to see me and he said, well, you know, um, I don't think it's a good idea that you see her right now. And I said, why not? And he's like, uh, mm, I just don't think it's a good idea. And I said, OK, well, I'll just see her when 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 she gets home. Like, I didn't think anything of it. And um, so. I was released from the hospital and, you know, I was placed on bed rest and I remember being home and, and getting the call that, that she had passed away. So she never made it out of the hospital. And there were times where I felt like, wow, I, I wish I had gone to see her. But later on, I realized that if I had, who's to say, maybe I would have had ended up going into full blown labor because literally I know the stress of everything and just being just, trying to manage it all that that may have been the very reason why I went into you know preterm preterm labor so in hindsight I understand that it was best that I didn't see her but I you know there were times where I wished that I had gone yeah Lisa this is 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 too much for a 12 year old you know that right I mean it's too much preterm labor foster care a pregnancy, trying to be a kid, you know, seeing your mom on drugs, having a parent overdose. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. There is no reason it says how pain prepared me for my purpose on the cover of your book and why it says behind the smile, right? Because you are one smiley person all these years <laughs> later, but, um, that's a lot was going on. 
and you go home. And at some point you're like, okay, well, I'm going to have a baby now. So we, you made it through, you got the steroid injections. I know from your book, like he was able to get it, the steroid injections and develop the lungs. What gestation were you? Do you remember how many weeks along when you did actually go into active labor where they didn't need to stop it because it wasn't too early? Right. They didn't need to stop it. I was about maybe about 38 weeks. 38, 38 weeks. Yeah. Okay. So not, yeah. that's, that's like perfectly normal birthing window. And I would say probably pretty healthy for the stature of a 12 year old right like and like our hips only widen so much from you know 10 to 12 years old so um so probably really good that he didn't get much bigger um so tell me what it was like as a 12 year old at home to go into labor how what did it feel like oh well I remember um right before saying to my uh, godmother, I said, I'm having some cramping. And she said, oh, you'll be fine. Just go, just go, <laughs> go lay down somewhere. And I said, okay. And I, and I did. And I, and eventually I, I got back up and I was, I cried and I said, I, this, this is not, this is not working for me. I, I need to go to the hospital. And sure enough, she said, okay, we can go now. So <laughs> she, she waited it out. She waited it out. And I guess, you know, she, she knew that, it wasn't quite, quite time. And so, um, you know, at that point, you know, got to the hospital and the thought that, wow, this is really happening. It was, it was a lot to process. You know, you have doctors coming in, nurses coming in and hooking you up to IVs and, you know, you hear the heartbeat of the baby and, you know, you're thinking, oh my God, like this is really about to happen. Mm -hmm. And um, I just really remember feeling just like, I was in the twilight zone, for lack of a better word. Just a lot of moving parts, watching, listening, um, feeling the movement of my baby in my stomach. I, I think I literally felt him tumble. And it was like, whoa, what is happening to me? <laughs> um, my, his, his dad was there. He was there with me during the time. And, and um, I remember, you know, things moving along quickly. And at one point I said, you know, please yeah, give me the epidural. And, and, and they said, well, you know, you're quite far along right now in terms of centimeters. And so I, I was out of the window. And so there was, there was, I had to ride it out. I had to ride it out. And so I remember just feeling like I didn't know if I was going to make it. Like I was, I was scared, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought, well, this is what happened. So clearly I'm going to make it <laughs> like there are other people who have had, had children before. So I'm going to make it, I think, yeah. but I just really did not quite understand all that was happening the with my body. Yeah. The pain, the just just everything, just life. <laughs> mm -hmm. How did I end up here? There were a lot of questions. And so um I will say that the nurses and the doctors were very, very supportive. 
they 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 worked me through it at one point. You know, I remember trying to breathe. <laughs> you know, um, I did. I, I had gone through a Lamaze class, but I couldn't remember how to breathe. Like what? <laughs> like what? Like I remember that. I was wondering if you took a childbirth class because you were going to so many classes. So you did go to Lamaze. That was cut thirty six years ago. That really Lamaze was like the buzzword. Um, that's what my mom had done too. Um, she had a baby in 1994. Right. Yeah. I was in high school and my mom had her last child in 1994 and Lamaze was like the big buzz word back then. So you had taken a course, but you're right. It does. It kind of flies all out the window and the people around us, like your nurses, your doctors, you know, hopefully today, like in my world, a doula, um, was your godmother there with you too? No, she wasn't there. Okay. If she, wait a minute, let's see, let's see. So was she there? I don't know. I don't remember her being there. I don't (laughs) remember her being there. I think she had to have gotten into the hospital somehow. I think you guys called an ambulance. we, we, we call the ambulance and I'm wondering, was she there? And if she was there, maybe she left afterwards. You know, there's some parts that are so fuzzy. I don't remember her being in the room. She wasn't in the room for sure. So, yeah, yeah, but, she may have been in the waiting room for a little while and then eventually. But yeah. Mm-hmm. But your son's father was there. And um, yes. was he a, were you still dating? Was this still your boyfriend at that time? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So that was your primary support person. Was right. there. Oh, so, and then you had your great nurses and good doctors. Here's where I, I, one little interjection where, you know, don't get angry about this, but um, in the United States, uh, systemic racism continues to be a thing. And um, often black women are not heard. There is no world in which you cannot get an epidural, even at 10 centimeters dilating and pushing. So the fact that they withheld an epidural from you, like unless the head was crowning, but it sounds like you weren't even pushing when you asked for an epidural. So it, yes, whatever. It's 36 years ago. Doulas weren't on the scene. Who knows what hospital staffing was like that evening, you know, but I believe that you did have a right to pain management and I'm sorry that you didn't get that in the form of an epidural or, you know, nitrous oxide or, you know, there's a lot of different things that, but, um, but, but let me say this, the fact that you had an unmedicated childbirth at 12 years old is something for everyone listening to this podcast to be incredibly inspired by that it is very difficult you're what you're describing lisa was the transformation you were going into the hardest phase of labor transition and it's actually when we transform made into mother right everything it becomes dark it becomes uh wild and primal it becomes scary um because the person that you were for 12 years has to die and a new person has to be born um a mom has to arrive on the scene and so 
this unmedicated experience that you had was really that journey, that transition, that transformation um, that you're describing. But if, but how do you explain that to a 12 year old? It's hard to grasp. I gave birth at 36 and 37. I could barely understand that concept. And this is what I do as a career. So, oh, I just wish I could like transport back to 36 years ago in Boston and just stood by your side and helped you. Thank you. So eventually you pushed. Do you remember pushing? Oh, yes. I remember. (laughs) Okay. So what? I remember that. So what? I remember. The push. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the push. <laughs> you know, the push was like the most liberating experience like ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I tell people to this day, hey, the push. And, you know, it, it just felt like, whoa, you can do this. There was a strength I felt that, I mean, to the point where they had to say, oh, hold on, slow it down, slow it down, because, hey, it was time. It was time. But the push, it felt like, oh my goodness. Oh, you know, I haven't really even really taken the time to really think about this whole process, but it was so just, just a powerful experience to actually know that, wait a minute, I am, I am bringing forth life. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it, it and then to know that I actually had the strength to actually do it when I felt like I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. But that last push of, whew, I did it. It's like this miraculous thing that comes over your body that gives you exactly what you need to finish the, the process. Mm-hmm. And then the hormones release. When you saw your son, did he get to come to your chest right away or did they take him to assess him? Did you get? They took him to assess him. Okay. So that was, that doesn't happen that much anymore, but that was very common practice um, 36 years ago, right? Like the baby would come out, they'd assess, and then they would bring him over. When you got to hold him and see him for the first time, what was that like? You know, I think I was just in awe, like, whoa, is this a baby? I don't think I had ever held a baby before. I had never held a baby. Like, that was my first time holding a baby. Actually, even seeing a baby in real life, like, I've seen, like, you know, toddlers running around and things, but I had never actually seen or held a baby. So to to look and to see, like, whoa, I'm holding my baby. That's when everything, like, if it's not real, it's real now. Get it together. And it was a, it was just a, an entire just experience. And I did feel some sadness. Um, I was, I, I, I actually felt, I think more sadness than, um, joy. Just thinking about, you know, I just lost my mom. My mother had just passed away a month prior. There I was in in foster care and I'm holding this baby that everyone says I'm not going to be able to care for. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do now? So 
it was it was challenging. It wasn't an exciting, like, oh my goodness, look at my beautiful son. It was, how am I going to take care of you? Okay. And you have about, what, 48 hours in the hospital after birth before you're with help? Then you're yes. on your own. So you gave birth unmedicated at 12 years old, which is unbelievable to me. And then you went on to raise him. You went on to graduate from high school. You went on to have this incredible life and career. So we have about five minutes left, Elisa, which is an injustice to your story, but which is why I want everyone to buy your book, Behind the Smile. Again, by Lisa Henderson Carter, and it's linked in the show notes. But from that moment of you being in the hospital and thinking, what am I going to do now? What did you do? Well, I took my baby home. And I cared for him. I fed him. I didn't, I, I did try to breastfeed, but it didn't quite work for me. Okay. You're I wish at I had 12 someone. years old. You're, um, everything, all the tissue may not have been quite developed for breast milk mm. production. I, um, took him home and, you know, I, I stayed on the schedule. I fed him. I burped him. I changed him. I held him. I uh, took on just the role of what being a mother is in terms of what I thought was. I was very, very careful about leaving him with anyone. I didn't want to necessarily run out and hang out with my friends all the time. I just felt like he was my responsibility. And I needed to make sure that he was okay. Yeah. It's very brave of you for that young. It would have been quite easy to have fallen into selfishness. But like I said, in that unmedicated journey, you went through transition. You transformed. You changed. Right. right. Definitely. Um was eye opening and um, you know, my son's dad, he was he was around, but not long after things started to shift a bit and our relationship wasn't as peachy keen. <laughs> you know, because now there we have a responsibility and it was no longer about having time together. It was about uh taking care of our child. And um we did the best we could, I think, all things considering, but I knew at a point that I needed to find my way and find my path because I had a child who was dependent on me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I struggled a bit with postpartum depression uh, after it, it just came on all of a sudden. I didn't even realize what was happening. And I just felt defeated. I felt like I didn't have 
whatever I needed to, to, to do a good job. And I think it was because of the voices I heard about what you're going to end up like and all of the things. And then on top of that, just the emotional roller coaster, the hormones up and down, which I didn't understand. You know, I don't, I don't remember talking a lot about postpartum depression. I remember at one point I just didn't but think But you that were I... grieving, Lisa, also, which just compounds that, right? Yeah. Yes, postpartum depression is, is so dark and so real and is largely a hormonal imbalance. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you add a hormonal imbalance to real true grief I had two moms give birth this month that had just lost their moms in the last five or six years prior to them getting pregnant and having babies both of them called me within a week of giving birth bawling bawling and they said Both the moms died of cancer also. And both of them had said, I'm so happy I'm a mom. I'm so happy I have this baby. But I'm really, really angry my mom left me. I'm really angry she's not here to help me. And they were like, isn't that weird? I was like, no, (laughs) that's pretty normal because... I can't even imagine, Lisa, your feelings around how you lost your mom, how you first lost access to your mom, and then being a mom without your mom. Mm. Did anyone, the, the social workers, anyone at the school, your godmother, did anyone recognize the postpartum depression and get help for you? No, um, no, I actually, uh, attempted and contacted, uh, did I call? I think it was maybe, I don't, maybe I called 911, but they told someone, maybe the doctor's office. I don't know. Someone called me the, told me to contact the poison control center. Because and, you had um, tried to kill yourself. I, I had 800 milligram ibuprofen and I, took a good handful. Yeah. And I, I, and I, they told me to contact the poison control center. And I remember looking over at my son and thinking, what did I just do? And I, uh, went over and I gave him a kiss and I closed my eyes, took a nap and I woke back up without getting the care I needed. Did you tell anybody about that? Well, yeah, no, I didn't tell my social worker because I knew that was an automatic, oh, we need to take this child from her. Yeah. But I did talk to a couple of my friends about it. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You were stuck in a tricky situation needing help, but then being at risk if you ask for help of losing your child. So you just suffered through it? You just until the hormones rebalanced and the grief faded into the background? 
Damn. All with a smile. No one ever knew. How do you go to school? How do you go to eighth grade with a baby? What does that look like? Oh, it looks like a whole lot of chatter around. Is she a mother? Oh my goodness, she has a baby. You know, a lot of chatter, a lot of chatter. But at that point in my life, I just knew that I needed to focus in on my education. <laughs> yep. Bring A's and B's through the door <laughs> so that I could potentially have a better future or give my son some better choices and some better options. So even at 12, even in grief, even in postpartum depression, you still showed up for yourself and your baby every day. Yes. It's incredible. The book goes on house two, house three, house four, house five. So you, you got moved a lot with your son. Why was that? Well, each home provided a different level of care, you know, um, and I think mostly when you have a, a baby with a baby, <laughs> most people are not prepared or equipped to, to handle it. And so each home was kind of like, okay, I was there for a season. Now it's time for something else. And each you know, home, there was a different circumstance that led to being moved to another home. But it all led me exactly to where I needed to be. I can look back at that now, um, you know, after I, I mean, I lived out of trash bags for years because I knew that within, you know, a few months or so I could potentially end up moving to another home. Um, so much to the point that when I finally had stable housing, I still found myself living out of trash bags. Um, but each home led me to the place, um, that just, that was meant for me. And it was quite a journey. And I can say that now, but I know at the end of the day, it was all for purpose. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine those kids that's in school with you in eighth grade today, I bet they're so embarrassed by, you know what I mean? Like, if it's hard to go through it, it's hard to watch it. It's hard to support it. Those kids, other kids want to be kids too, just like you want to be a kid. I would bet that if you ran into any of those kids from eighth grade today, they would be so proud of you. And they would probably be really regretful and embarrassed that they didn't help you because their adult self knows how to help you. Their 13-year-old self didn't know how to help you. <laughs> their 13-year-old self only knew how to be 13, you know? I just, I think there's probably a lot of people in your life that if they could go back, because you were growing in your power and they they hadn't even yet found theirs. You found your light. You gave forth life. You gave forth light at such an early age. 
People don't know what to do with that. They don't know how to support that. They don't know how to be around other people's power, too. So you eventually graduated from high school. Can you just, as we close this podcast interview, Lisa, I want you to share with the audience what it was like to achieve that goal and then like what your relationship is like or with your family now. Absolutely. So it took years for me to really look back and, and reflect on what it felt like to achieve the goal. At that time, I knew that I just had to achieve the goal. That was it. There was not a lot of celebration, you know, at that point. It was, okay, I did it. I had to do it. Later on in life, I said, wait a minute, you know, yeah, you did it. Like my husband was the one after I wrote my story who said, wait a minute, uh uh-uh. He said, you kind of glimpsed over the fact that you graduated. I said, no, take some time. And, and, and think about what that felt like. And I'm like, huh, okay. Because life has always been about just you got to do what you got to do and keep it moving. And so it wasn't until later in life that, I, that I'm really kind of saying, okay, I guess I did something, you know, because it just it felt like what I needed to do. Um, but I will say that um, I, I graduated top of the class and I was with, um, I was involved on, on student government. I was a part of the um, student government body and council, and I, you know, was a was a support to our to my peers, and and really didn't even realize a leader within the community that I grew up in. And so it was it was there, it was in me, and I didn't even know it. And so the feeling of graduating was just like, whew okay, I got this part done. Um, and then moving forward and knowing that I uh, wanted to, because as a little girl, I said, you know, I wanted to, I said I wanted to become a nurse or a cosmetologist. And I knew that that meant further in my education. And so I enrolled into a community college and, you know, worked my way. It took 10 years for me to finally get my degree in human services, but that's what has led me to where I am today, where I am able to um, to do the work that I do to support children and families. And so it, it, it's just an amazing thing. And, and most of the families I work with don't even know my story. Like they don't, they don't know. I mean, unless we kind of get into a conversation, I've recently just kind of started sharing a little bit about, you know, I wrote a book, but, um, and for my students, they know, I've written a book, but I can't say, well, here, read it, because it, I, I just don't think it's quite age appropriate. Um, or I think if, if, if parents read it first and then have a discussion with their child, I think for sure. But it's one that I want to make sure that parents are having the, the discussion with the child. And then um, also given, giving them the, the freedom to ask questions. Like That's the biggest thing. So um, yeah, but overall, my family, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grandmother now. I have six grandchildren. Um, they are all just beautiful, um, married husband of 24 years. And um, my, my children are all adults now. My youngest one just graduated from college and he's living his life. And 
And right now I'm just figuring out how to live mine. And it feels so good. So good. And I am so happy that you are finally at the stage of life where I hope you get to um, re-embrace the inner child inside of you. The inner child that just wants to dance and jump rope and hang out with her friends and dream about what life can become. All of that is re-given to you now because your big responsibilities are behind you. You did it. You survived it. And now, like, I really encourage you I hope you dive back in and you re-meet your 10-year-old and your 8-year-old and your 11-year-old and you have the chance to ask her, like, who are we hanging out with today? What are we doing? <laughs> Where are we going? And just um, have fun. And I know that you bring that light and that enthusiasm to every student who's has the just really unique opportunity to have you be in their lives too. So Lisa, thank you for being on my podcast today and sharing your story and your birth story. And I really just hope that it reaches a lot of people so that they can be inspired by um, what can happen when we choose to keep going, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for what you do to support um, those who are, are bearing children. It is truly a gift. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.